Settling in for the the vasa, the rains retreat, and the rains are actually advancing, not retreating. <laughs> so it's this is why it's raining so much. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's nice to have a chance to where we have a feeling of a kind of stability, which is advantage for a feeling of like a coherence and uh, continuity of practice and teaching and in these uh, moon moon times moon days time for um, you know extended practice uh, trying to put aside other uh, concerns to do with work and so forth and activities and just focus more on the the core unchanging um, elements of the practice so so this is a chance for the lay community to gather together come and check in as to you know, what can timeless things can be expressed that one can take away and reflect on for another week or so So one thing I'm quite um, <coughs> keen to, to teach and talk about is the qualities of renunciation, as this is uh, um, something that <laughs> isn't talked about a lot in the world, or in the Dhamma, Dhamma circles. Um, and sometimes it's, it's quite a word that seems quite can be quite fearful, like ideas of puritanical. Um, austerity or repression or moralizing or um, these kinds of things or something that's only really related to to monks and nuns mm. but it is it's certainly I don't see a way to fulfill the practice without understanding and taking on this kind of um, this inclination renunciation or better perhaps relinquishment or letting go ability to let go to relinquish to to live with without holding on to live without attachment this really is the core the aim of the of the life of the of a, of a Buddhist someone following the Buddha way and it's something that we do all practice anyway to some degree or another in our lives and so this is really not anything that's outrageously new so much as it's being highlighted and perhaps encouraged to you one can develop it mm. and what's possible to develop why to develop it is the, the freedom the letting go 
and how to develop it, what supports it, what makes it possible to do that is one feels happy, one feels good, one feels stable, one has a refuge whereby it makes it possible to let go, to relinquish other things. So the two have to go together and significantly the two um, concepts that come together in this way are linked to the brahmacharya which is the life of uh, sense restraint and brahmavihara which is the abiding place of of um, well-being um, inner poise emotional fullness and you can see these two words obviously are connected one one needs to establish that Brahma Vihara Vihara is a residing place a place to live dwelling a dwelling in this Brahma Brahma is is limitless or boundless a boundless abiding in order to practice cultivate the Brahma the boundless conduct Brahmacharya the two one one supports the other Mm. these are uh, because the all of us in a way need a place to be we have to establish a certain sense of presence and this is of course the one of the fundamental problems or confusions that we all go through is this loss of presence and uncertainty about who we are, what we are, what we're supposed to do um, or ignorance are we jar not really certain so the, what, what seems to occur at a very basic level is, is that our awareness is always reaching out to, to find out who we are by contacting things around us so contact the sensations in my body helps me to feel I'm in here um, you know, the, what I can see helps to helps to mean oh I'm here you know, what I can hear, what I can touch the sense, the sense information helps to locate me so some awareness is actually reaching out into those, to those bases to find out where I am you know, imagine what it would be like without that no sight, no sound, no no thought, no touch. You know what would it be like? That'd be like what's it like for an astronaut going out into outer space and just floating outside a, a space capsule? You know, where the sense of you know the gravity is is is, is not there, it's strangely dislocating, and that's only one sense door, kind of um, uh, alleviated. We still see and hear and, and think and uh, taste and so forth and yet of course one can recognize that all these 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 things you know what one sees and touches and tastes uh, is changing is impermanent is subject to change is unstable body you know sometimes pleasant sometimes unpleasant um, here and there different pressures different contacts hot cold it's not a constant thing, is it? And we all realize that one day this is going to die. Age sick and die. We lose it. 
and then the sensory world around it is a place that we can travel across and like nomads we can pitch our tent in it briefly for a year or two a few years and that's going to go too we're going to move on we're not actually we can't hold this sensory realm so when one's awareness is reaching out to, to find out who I am in this context it's finding some very blurred and fuzzy and unsatisfying answers conclusions the sen- so this is the you know, the, the sense world is not an abiding place it's not really a very sound vihara at all it's more like a tent a tent in the wind And the other thing that we're that's being we reach out or this awareness reaching out for is something to make us feel good. And this can be just again on the primary sensory level, you know, pleasant su- sounds, sights, touches, and so forth. Or it can be in a more refined um, mental or emotional level, um, friendly company, a feeling one's doing something useful and good. Uh, s- a sense of contentment with one's life mm-hmm. so this, this is uh, something that, that helped to, to feel good and we realise probably that the, the feel good factor of the sensory world is you know, it's some, there's some there but again it's pretty patchy because it also brings in the feel bad <laughs> either separation from the, from the nice bits or the directly painful impingement and then, well, what can we do? You know, what, is, what gives us our sense of being being with with friends? Being, you know, which we recognise. Well, friendships come and go. People agree and disagree, and then there's separation from those, isn't there? So this is again, is it's good, but it's not really very firm. Um, and then perhaps is there a possibility for a foundation, uh, really abiding in in an ethical sense whereby one, one feels one is doing something useful and good uh, one, one's living in a blameless skillful way and this is perhaps the, the firmest we can get on, on that just on this ordinary um, level the conventional reality mm. and this in a way the summoner life does epitomize this we do make an effort every effort to to live in as, as sound and as solid and as pure and as full full on ethical um, standards very full on mm. confessing the smart small flaws and faults and things of this nature things that might have been blunt or crude or a bit insensitive or grasping or whatever So, in terms of conventional reality, this is this is a this is a good place to be. And yet, we still realise, as one does when one tries to fully live according to a uh, refined ethical code, it certainly it's got its it's got its um, rickety places. We can still feel a sense of not feeling very worthy, um, 
not feeling, uh, you know, I've got regrets in my mind, um, don't feel I'm doing very much, feel sorts of sensory drives, sexual um, pulls, hunger, sense of loss, sense of grief over what's happening in the world, sadness about people dying, um, you know, perhaps having noble intentions and aims but not really being able to, 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 to fully bring them forth. Uh, the limitations of one's body, one's energy, what a situation will will allow, the way the world is, all these things are considerably considerably cramp. Um, the vihara, the, the residence on the ethical level, we can do the best we can, and yet still, it doesn't leave us uh, feeling completely steady and sa- and satisfied, because one is always having to actually anyway. You know, make continual choices and judgments uh, on 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 a on a very shifting plane of what's socially skillful or what a person needs or what's appropriate. So, it is it's a very shifting kind of thing. It's like living in a caravan rather than a tent. <laughs> Keeps the rain off, but it still <laughs> still swings around in the wind. And certainly as one practices in some life, then we can also recognize, you know, the, there's quite a gap between the conventional behavior and, if you like, the, the, the inner state of mind. The inner state of mind can be moody, depressed, elated, exuberant. Um, you know, uh, and the, the external behavior doesn't necessarily express that. I'm trying to make in ethical terms, those things can be tend to to blur that. So we find ourselves in this interesting dilemma of of recognizing that although we practice a particular code of behavior, that's not what we are. It's something we do. It's something you can't really take a stand upon identify with if you do take a stand upon it then you end up you know disapproving of other people or um, feeling you're getting conceited about oneself um, and becomes um, puritanical and one doesn't take a stand on it then we practice with that but we begin to acknowledge that there are areas of our experience that tend to not relate not fit in with that the emotional side of life, um, for example, the bodily states. Mm-hmm. Moods, mind states. In a way, when one has given over a lot of one's external activity, to to doing things that are ethically sound rather than what, what's fun or what's interesting or what's enjoyable or what I feel like doing today, then there, this dilemma occurs. We are in a way cutting off or relinquishing the amount of food, um, psychological food we can get from... from um, sensual realm from the um, 
self-motivation from those things. We, we're trying to, to act in accordance with what's appropriate for a group or for a community or for a, a life or for a, and so on. So this gap opens up. We're no longer you know, sleeping when we want, eating when we want, going out having holidays and things like that. And that really puts a lot of, of this renunciation um, and the also the ethical requirements puts a lot of strain or pressure puts it onto the our, our state of being, if you like. We can't really identify, we can't abide as an identity in our behaviour. And so that instinct then starts to to identify with a particular mind state or emotional state or mood or way of ho- way of holding a mood maybe not a particular mood itself but my ability to comprehend a mood or feel balanced and on course all the time no matter what's happening you know. I would like to be a kind of stable serene peaceful jolly wise compassionate um, you know being all the time and uh, you know that that then becomes, um, you know, the 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 place where this this instinct to be somebody, you know, goes to that place because we've given up everything else. And then what do we find? You know, the very the very act of giving up so much as may as <laughs> means, you know, this kind of desires and aversions and fears and there's all sorts of stuff coming from the past because I haven't been able to 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 you know, distract myself from these these things. There's how I feel about my body, there's how I feel about myself in relationship to other people, there's how I feel about myself in terms of what I'm doing. And then there's how I feel about myself as a meditator and how I feel about myself as a as a summoner and how I feel about myself in this particular community and so on. And apart from mother, father, you know, animals, everything. Yeah, so this becomes we become intensely kind of self-conscious um, with nothing that that instinct to be a self starts to really take hold of this bag of mind states and there isn't anywhere to shrug them off to and this is really where of course the whole process of of meditation contemplation mind cultivation is a, is an absolute requirement, and uh, where uh, you know Brahmacharya uh, takes on a, a far deeper uh, and more thorough meaning than just um, celibacy or sense restraint on an external behavioural level. Mm. So on the external behavioural level, it's very much a matter of, of not doing. You know, of restraining, of re- refraining, but an internal level, it's very much a matter of really finding that Brahma, uh, you know, being in that Brahma state. Finding that place, finding that territory, where. Um, there is there is the the uh, fulfilment or the completion of these uh, of this state sense of being where there's an absence of of regret turbulence disturbance ups and downs uh, moods 
worries and so forth where that is that's cleaned out where there is uh, uh, the cleaning out of these perhaps more subtle states of of feeling small feeling difficult feeling awkward feeling embarrassed feeling self-conscious feeling unworthy things that may not have particular topics but just kind of seem to curdle the blood in us and keep coming up into, into different in different ways and the Brahma, Brahmacharya and the Brahma Vihara certainly are ways of, of, of cleaning purifying cleaning you know perhaps cleaning is, is less mo- you know emotively charged term than purification because we're not just like a uh, you know learning how to cleanse um, the, the, the state of being from the need from the sensory drive to, to locate and feel good through external sense contact or from the certain uh, the, the identity drive that which wants to be a certain status or state or identified with um, attainments or activities or accomplishments to, to cleanse it of this and finally to cleanse it from make from the quality of, of ignorance itself you know the seeking uh, the the uncertainty the instability that always makes awareness active and searching for something so the Buddha used the word of Brahmin you know as someone who is who is cleansed you know Brahmin not as a caste but actually as a, as a as a purified one and sometimes he described himself as a Brahmin you know, deliberate, was teasing on, on the fact that, from a caste point of view, he wasn't a Brahmin. But he said the true Brahmin is beyond this. Mm. So when one can't hold on to um, sense contact, can't hold on to a, a physical situation, can't hold on to a job, can't hold on to uh, an external situation when one can't hold on to um, you know uh, the uh, certain principles or dogmas or, or ideologies um, when one can't hold on to an ethical thing as an identity but purely as something one does you know, then where are we who are we What, what is it like without this? Even if we just imagine what it's like, what would it be like without tomorrow? Or without my job? Or without my companion? Or without my home? What would it be like? Recognizing that this is not purely a fantasy because that's the way it will be. <laughs> so this is not an irrelevant question. You know? This is the way it actually will be. And rather than holding on to another set of circumstances or just going into a state of, of you know, frozen state or <coughs> despair or distraction, really understanding, you know, can there be this, this efficiency, this, this purity, the ability to, to really relinquish? Not to, not to dis, you know, in a state of 
wanting to get rid of it or a state of disgust or aversion to it, but just a softening that one, one is not identified with all this. This is a very profound and challenging um, practice. As a, when one practices meditation, then in a way we are we are entering into a place where this all begins, all this this manifold world begins here you know, in in one's own presence, in one's own consciousness. This is where the memories are. This is where the hopes are. This is where the aspirations are. This is where the fears and dreads are. This is where the, the incredible perceptual system of what I think and what I assume and how I know things is all, regi- is all here in this. My statements about myself are here. My half statements, my barely heard statements, my assumptions are all here. And rather than dealing with every one of these individual things, one's going to, to the in meditation, we're learning to go to the to the primary root of all this. The some of these um, basic, um, the primary core of this in the the mind. Not the mind purely as an intellectual experience, but the mind as the complete sum total of this, the storehouse of the world, you know, of my world. You know. Some of it's held emotionally, some of it's held. Um, intellectually, conceptually, some of it's held much more on a kind of instinctive level, you know, like I- in the body itself, how I hold my body, how you know how, how my body feels, mm. what I what I what I do with various kinds of pleasure and pain, mm. what I do with certain like bodily energies, sexuality, hunger, thirst, sleepiness. These things, what I do with all these. Some of these bodily things are so um, barely acknowledged yeah, as being anything that one has any say over or control over or needs to attend to that we just kind of go about, well, you know, when you feel hungry, eat something, you feel thirsty, drink something, you feel sleepy, sleep, you know. And then, of course, the, the big question that can occur for people is, well, what about? sexuality, you know, when you feel that particular energy, emotional energy, what do you do about it? And this gets very confusing, because um, then we're actually dealing with other human beings. It's not like, you know, having, having a sausage sandwich or a cup of tea, is it? <laughs> it's getting that way for some people. But <laughs> it's really a lot more complex and involved because now you're dealing with two whole whole mental physical physiological karmic processes at least two some you know <laughs> <laughs> so there's all sorts of uncertainties and you know navigational guides and you know what am i supposed to do with this and uh, you know um, and all that and how does this meet where you are and so because of this then this whole sexual instinct is something that's extremely loaded for people and socially it's it can be covered with certain areas of 
of fascination. You know, it's a basic condiment for all advertising is splash some sex into it because it will grab attention. It's also something that is liberally covered with certain feelings of shame or, or disgust. or And then all the various cocktails one can create out of that, out of both the compulsive attractiveness of it and also the social wariness or shame. And once you mix these two together, you're getting some really interesting mixes <laughs> of what people get up to. <laughs> but whatever you do with it, whatever cocktails you create out of it, basically there it is. You know, you 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 got it. Um, this is what this body is about. In a way, it's 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 been engendered through that through sexual activity and and is endowed with a sexual energy, which is its almost its, its primary raison d'être. Just like a you know a, fl- a flower just produces seeds, and so do these bodies do that and if it's not done nothing else it's accomplished what a body has to do so this is a kind of very primary thing and certainly when was practicing brahmachari you get the idea you're just going to kind of cut this off you've got another thing coming or that it should be something you cut off which is you know it doesn't doesn't work that way it cuts you off first <laughs> You know, and then one was kind of if you're coming from this the ethical standard, and then there's all this sexuality's got this kind of all this ethical and sensual confusion around it. What's proper? What's appropriate? What's decent? What's kind? What's immoral? And so forth. Then you get into some very shaky territory as to what to do with it. The brahmacharya really is is a, a very good, one very good solution to that uh, and it's, it's one, I mean there may be others but this is the one um, particularly for a, for a meditator This is um, and for a summoner of course it really involves being able to channel that particular energy you know through the whole body and, so, and through the mind because the mind or the, the mentality um, Obviously, or, or takes the body as one of its primary um, inputs is our bodily information. You know, our physiological state of, of being is a primary aspect of what the mind listens to or coordinates. So we're trying to bring that energy through the whole body. So in a way, it also transfers into the mind, and that's a very different. Um, presentation from just don't do you know, because it, it means you know, acknowledge um, get a, a proper hold of that without fear without worry, without fascination without transferring it into into an external uh, behavioural thing get a hold of that and, and really start to, to, to bring that through the whole body and if it goes through the whole body um, then it begins to diffuse into to the mind. And as I'm using the mind here in a very broad sense as that whole sphere of awareness, understanding, perception, and feeling. Mm. 
So if we can do this, then this whole realm is then, um, this powerful energy is then transfused through this, this entire n- knowing, knowingness. So the knowingness becomes very powerful, bright, invigorated. And this is an enormous asset for meditation. And I would say that for a, someone who's really committed to, to meditation, we'll find this a, a, a powerful asset. Uh, certainly, I, I don't think one can really expect to, to be able to get a, 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 a complete and full meditative practice without practicing brahmacharya to some extent or another, even as a, as a lay person. Because it both, we have to deal with sexual energy and we also have to brighten up and strengthen um, the mind and beginning to acknowledge that the mind is not separate from the body again reminds us of the importance of this um, this practice, brahmacharya. And in terms of of our, our bodily experience, then of course we have the external sense of the body, what it touches and tastes, and, and external contact, the anatomy of it, the shape of it, um, you know, the appearance of it, and all that. And then there's also what we call something more like a subtle body or an internal sense of body, which we might say is a sense of balance, our sense of um, whether we feel bright or dull in a bodily sense, whether we feel vigorous or, or weak. Um, these, are, these are simple references to it. As, as you enter, enter into this experience of body, the inner body, then that inner reference, one finds a lot more analogies and ways of describing it. The inner body can feel very large, suffusive, amorphous, extended, um, steady, um, can feel like air, it can feel like fire, it can feel like um, space. Um, so it becomes a, a whole area, territory for, for contemplation. And this is what um, the practice of, of samadhi is about. And the Buddha said, this is an abiding place. So he talked about the four different levels of samadhi, the four jhanas, as being the couches or the places where, a, where an enlightened one rests and finds their, their ease and their comfort. This is no longer a bumpy old caravan or a flappy tent with a kind of inflatable, deflatable bed in it. This is actually a, a steady couch to, to reside on, to feel comfortable in. And it is the quality of uh, collectedness in the, which begins with the inner body, collecting oneself into the inner body. And as we practice with this, you, you begin to understand how so many of the difficulties that we experience as psychological or emotional are really connected to, to inner body. We may feel a sense of, of uh, um, tension, um, we may feel a sense, which is an obvious one, we may feel a sense of, of um, regret, we can feel irritable or angry, we can feel um, unloved or neglected. 
we can feel guilty or, and so forth. And these seem to be very much conceptual or emotional things. It's nothing to do with my body. Of course, it's nothing to do with the external body, but it is, um, it is held in how one senses one's body internally. So a lot of what I would recommend for often, you know, for meditation practice is beginning to to fully purify this, this internal body or clean this internal body. And the the energy that is trans normally expressed sexually is a very useful um, agent for doing this, you know, bringing this energy through the whole of the body. So when the Buddha says, when, you, when we practice, we, we sit cross-legged and bring the spine upright and set, set up mindfulness to the fore. This is the, if you like, the introduction to meditation. You recognize that doing this um, means for a start that sitting cross-legged very much opens up the base of the body, the lower chakras, the perineum, the base of the body, kind of opens this area, opens it up very widely. Um, I mean, you know, people in the UK can sit in a chair and so forth. It's not not really the, the, the knees or the legs, it's this whole you know, abdominal um, base that we're, we, we're trying to open up. Um, uh, so that it becomes more, uh, isn't it just kind of like sitting on your backside? <laughs> you know, so sort of the backside is kind of numb lump underneath that you sit on. It's actually, you can feel the whole energy of this base, this bodily base. As, as particularly as one sits cross-legged, then you get a lot more contact there and a lot more because of the energy gathering there. And using the spine as uh, as a, a reference to the to the upright body is very helpful because just sitting and then sensing, you know, well as that exp- that sense those that sense of the base of the body that kind of presence. And then also acknowledge there's something above this. You know? I'm not just a kind of disembodied head. And then trying to get a feeling or an awareness of the whole column of the body rising as it is above that. So we're aware of the, the, the abdomen, we're aware of the midriff, we're aware of the chest, the shoulders, the, the back of the neck and the skull. So it begins with just perhaps acknowledging that there are whole, you know, there are gaps in that. And one may, may one may need to bring more attention to bear in the abdomen or the belly or the chest or the neck or the head. Some of this, some of this is there can be tensions in parts of the body where one feels quite rigid, or areas of numbness. And practicing um, just establishing the upright body is a matter of being able to continually sweep or massage awareness through all these areas of the body. So you, you can, even you get the, the faintest feeling of the back feels, feels um, tight or painful or whatever, 
and practicing learning to sit in a way whereby one puts a lot of attention into just the, the upright spine from feeling it out what is necessary you know what actually is the appropriate way that the body sits it's not an idea you know where you, whereby one forces a particular rigidity onto the body or tries to sit up straight in some sense of feeling like you you know feeling as good as the next person some competition but really bringing one's attention from the front of the body where the sense organs are the face and the soft tissues you know actually drawing back so so that one's you know one's center becomes literally more central whereas pri- normally we are very much more in our face in the face tissues so bringing it back so that the face relaxes uh, and the the um, there's a sense of more uh, awareness on a, into the central core, the spinal core of the body. Now there are places where that gets um, stuck, and if you like, approximately four zones. The first zone is the base chakra, the base area of the body. So learning to sit in a way whereby you don't feel like you're perched or tight, you really feel you're resting and settling into the ground. Really getting this this base of the body to really rest into the ground as if there's a root growing down from your tail and and going into the earth, as if you had a tail and it was driving down into the earth. So you really feel connected so that the the subtle tensions in the thighs or in the, the legs or in the buttocks can be relaxed and you really feel yourself in it when you relax tensions which may, you may be hardly aware of because they've become so residual you feel a much fuller sense and a much clearer sense of, of energy there and so establishing this of course this this whole area of the body can be something where one feels you know slightly awkward about so you have to just work with that and work with the emotional states that come up so this can by itself this can um, you know bring around some mind states or some um, emotional states the next area is the the abdomen learning how to let go of the of the belly which can be tight or held breathing um, meditation on breathing is a standard uh, meditation practice that the Buddha recommended and it's actually does does serve as a very good medium for for relaxing and opening the body. So being able to breathe fully through the abdomen, so that you can really feel it swelling out and become relaxing and becoming softer and more spacious. Similarly, the the next area is the, the solar plexus area, um, center of the of the just under the under the chest. And if we get tight here or shut down here, um, 
there's a sense in which the, the body kind of the upper body curves or the body shelters it kind of um, curls around that the, at the solar plexus and also the heart area um, so actually learning to, to open the chest so that this, this region of the body does, is not contracting inwardly either through tension or through something like fear or something like embarrassment or something like you know wanting to not be here so we find ourselves folding up when you sit in meditation it's important to feel that you have you can fill your space completely very often we're living in crowded situations or in situations where there's there's chance contact with other people trains buses streets so you are one does feel kind of held in you know or, or cautious but when one sits in meditation the idea is to completely fill the space and feel that your body can take up as much space as it needs and keep bringing that suggestion into mind you know, that you don't have to be small you don't have to be unnoticed you can be big and loud <laughs> you know without saying anything it's, it's giving yourself that permission to to fully be here and claim space um, and this can help this suggestion can help in in giving the body permission to to open and relax so the chest in a way seems to internally at least seems to, to broaden and there may be some external movement also and with this the shoulders relax so when the, the chest is properly open then the shoulders naturally relax they, they won't relax if your chest isn't open they'll always be hunched over it protecting it you know. when the chest says I don't need protection you know I'm allowed to be here everything's fine then the shoulders oh we don't, you don't need a shell anymore so the shoulders can relax when the shoulders relax it takes a lot of tension out of the neck So then the, the head, you know, which is the last region to, to contemplate as you practice in your body, um, takes a lot of impact, visual impact. Um, this is the bit that people aim for when they, when they speak, <laughs> the praise and blame, they aim for this little bullseye up on top of the shoulders, they generally don't talk to the knees. <laughs> So this is the thing, you know, <laughs> which takes the, the you know, the the the, uh, the full full gale of the world. Gale force eight hits the world through this centre. So it's naturally pretty protected um, uh, area, and an area which one's very conscious of. Sometimes embarrassed about, awkward about. Do I look good? Do I look nice? Do I look? happy, you know, my, my face um, pleasant to other people um, which we don't really bother about putting our ankles with, but with my face is important that people look at it and feel happy or nice or don't laugh or mock or <laughs> abuse it <laughs> and, and then, uh, then also this is the bit that sees and smells and, and, uh, and so forth so that there was that, that kind of being being hit by sensory impingement so it's a place of both nervousness, embarrassment and also shock so actually it does require 
I feel some considered attention to to free that and we begin perhaps with the jaw unlocking the jaw so the teeth are not softening the tongue so the tongue is, is completely relaxed in the base of the mouth just feel what it feels like if, you, if your tongue is not relaxed or you relax your tongue and then straighten it and push with it you can feel uh, a, sh- a charge run through into the back of your head if you, if you tense your tongue up and just consider how often is one's jaw really relaxed the tongue really relaxed and with that relaxing that or noticing this runs into the back of the head you notice where it runs to in the back of the head which is the place where the neck and the skull meet so if we're trying to establish a proper unstressed spine the neck is part of that and so a lot of the stressing in our system comes from um, the head pressing down, clenching, defending and that charge runs down through the whole body we feel unwelcome through our face, don't we? that's where we get the signals and that's what the signals are often related to so this takes the, the fear the embarrassment, the self-consciousness, the nervousness, the you know the shock, and that's translated into the back of the head, down to the whole body. So then your body starts to retract, you know, or feel uptight or clench. So just relaxing this lower part of the face, the jaw, tongue, back of the head, and then the upper part, which is more the outward going to the eyes softening both the gaze, opening the gaze, softening the gaze, relaxing the eyes. The internal, the, eye, the pupil itself, and then the way that the eyeball is held in the socket. Notice what it's like when you're intense and glaring. And then what, it, what it's like if you're just looking over a, a, the ocean, you know, or you're looking for a mountain top. And in meditation, it's that's, that's the kind of reference that we want to have our eyes in, that sense of spacious, open ease, rather than anything else. So you can meditate with your eyes open or closed or half closed, and sometimes it's good to vary that just to check out what's happening in the eyes, because whether they're open or closed, if they're still clenched and tight, you still get the same effect, restlessness jittering attention, scurrying around or a rigid kind of attention you know, when one of one's eyes peer and stab and stare you get this kind of sense of intense fixity or when your eyes scurry and flitter you get the sense of restlessness and worry if the eye is relaxed then these particular patterns uh, that translate into emotion and, and, and attitudes are considerably um, unwound 
So we can find ourselves relaxing without ever having dealt with any of the so-called topics on our mind. Without dealing with any personal history or my relationship with this person or that person. Or what I'm going to do with my life or so on. We found out it was all basically resting upon an energy that had become, that's expressed itself in the body. And if we can undo the body, purify the body, then a lot of this stuff actually doesn't find traction. It doesn't have the fuel to get going. And this is so practicing like this. And then when one can practice, when one can purify the body or establish the body, then something like mindfulness of breathing becomes very easy because the body, that inner body is open and you can be aware of how the, the flow of energy with breathing just ripples and, and, and massages that, that inner body. Whatever it's doing to the external fo- bodily form, like the movement of the chest or whatever, it's also gently massaging and refreshing and, re- and revitalizing like like a you know, circulating um, the energy of breathing through this bodily presence. And this is what is accomplished in the first section of mindfulness of breathing. So the mind then naturally collects and is concentrated because it's happy, contented, and a whole being, the whole mind, not just the thinking mind, but the whole of that awareness of presence can gather so this is this is an abiding place Brahma Vihara is significant the practices of, of kindness or well, wishing well for oneself uh, protecting oneself compassion healing oneself from harm um, appreciative joy sense of gladness uh, enjoyment and an evenness of mind, a sense of serenity about you know, the events that occur. One is not the events. One isn't neglecting events, one isn't ignorant of events, but one is not them. So one is able to accommodate and find space for the, the ups and downs of events in a serene mind, no, heart that knows this is this. This is not what I am, but I'm prepared to be present with it. So that's that, you know, the, the, the balance of the middle way. And this is where the accomplishment of practice occurs, not in being absent from these things, but being able to, to be in the presence of, of existence without resisting it, without denying it, without patronizing it, without philosophizing it, without dogmatizing it, you know, without taking a stand on it in any way, but no it's just this affection for oneself and so so the Buddha reckoned this was that one should be of all creatures in the world it's oneself that one should be most dear to this may sound strange for a kind of religious teaching. You think, well, sure, it's everybody else, isn't it? And it doesn't mean your self-image, you know. It means this quality of presence, this, this um, you know, 
one's awareness, one's mind, if you like, in this sense. It doesn't mean any image that it creates, but one's sense of being here, one's sense of being present, one's receptivity, uh, that which is aware and monitors our conduct, that which is aware and monitors our behavior and monitors our presence, this is the thing that one should hold most dearly. Then, of course, it makes sense, doesn't it? Me loving my (laughs) self-image... doesn't sound a very high attainment at all. (laughs) For me, or this having tremendous respect and well-wishing for the ability to be aware and responsible and responsive and receptive, this sounds like a very good idea. Not just for the welfare of this physical being, but for everything else, because this is what's going to monitor what I do and and who and how I how I receive you. If I'm feeling mistrustful, crabby, what am I going to see you as? Mm-hmm. Enemies, people I've got to placate, and so on. But if I hold this dear, so that this feels well, then my ways of receiving you are going to be much more trusting, open, open-minded, benevolent, you know, well-wishing. Uh, so it's said that one cannot really have true, effective well-wishing for another unless one has accomplished well-wishing for, th- for this, this one's presence. It just is not possible, however well one would like to. One's always wor- working through a distorted or cramped medium. And that's part of the frustration of it, isn't it? Sincerely wishing others well, and yet being personally cramped with feeling of inadequacy, uncertainty, awkwardness, embarrassment, and so forth. If this can be cleared, then of course we, we, we can really respond. And holding oneself dear, and protecting oneself from harm, and appreciating appreciative joy, taking joy in one's, in one's presence and being serene in that, not, not um, tacking it on to any particular event or state of mind or thought or mood, not, not tacking it on to any of it, which is that this is equanimity. So these four Brahma-viharas and you re- recognize how essential it is to have these happening at every level of the practice. Mm. At every level, from right from the beginning. Do you hold your ability or your intention to be present, do you hold that really dearly as your most treasured thing? Do you properly feed and, and, and protect that? Do you take satisfaction in it? Do you determine that this does not have to be uh, identified with an action, with a status, with whether people like you, with you know what, whether you feel healthy or sick, uh, whether you're busy or not busy. It does not have to be. You don't have to make any identity, good or bad, out of that. Leave that alone, and then it will find its own balance. Cultivate the the divine abiding, and the world will you know, wriggle around and shake itself, but then follow. Brahma is the overlord, and the world will follow it. The world of one's own body, for example, one's ability to 
to be to be present in this uh, and to to practice a, a deep affection for one's presence with a body that's can be pretty cantankerous at times with a mind or the, with a with the thought processes emotional states that are up and down can we mean that that which knows that that which is aware of the fear or the shame or the guilt or the worry that which knows that is truly endowed with wishing us well like their most uh, beloved friend a Buddha or a mother or a father have you like to imagine that what would that be like so that as the intensity of the letting go of the of our outward going tendencies draws up so many frustrations and, and uncertainties and, and difficulties and loss of, of, of presence in us there is something there that holds us and says you know I'm aware of this with a heart of kindness I'm aware of this with a heart that does not seek to punish or blame or ask you to prove anything or say you should change and be another way you know so that is the essential empowerment of, of, of awareness to purify because with awareness we're not trying to change the past or forget the past or redeem the past we're not trying to you know create the future as what I will be you know or even make the present something that's absolutely swinging along fine and dandy but we are able to we're trying to uh, empower through this um, energy that we've been able to 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 gather through restraint to an energy of of that works for our total well-being to presence rather than cause and effect to presence rather than action and behavior to presence rather than touch taste sound sight to presence rather than situation and if we establish this then all the rest of it follows suit if we don't establish it none of the rest of it ever stands up straight it's always falling apart so what's it like you know it's in meditation we come to these areas of, of regret, remorse, worry, grudge complaint, bitterness, sadness things we don't really understand we can find stories and causes and thoughts and ideas but it's, in a way it seems more basic than that what's it like, you know, what happens there I imagine that for most of us there's a kind of flurry of well, just go somewhere else find, you know, don't like this, something else to do and then perhaps as that thing kind of nudges home the, the, the hunger or the desire or the fear or whatever kind of keeps sticking itself up you know, uh, well, um, you know, uh, start tossing it a biscuit, you know, like go away or it's nice, don't worry about that or concentrate more, you know, basically shut up, will you? <laughs> and then perhaps we, after that we start to think about it. Um, well, after all, life's like that or you don't need to worry about that right now or 
after all he's a good bloke and you shouldn't have that kind of mood and then it still goes on he's not satisfied with his little you know, intellectual tidbits either because it, it understands all you really ever want to do is you want to get rid of me don't you <laughs> all this stuff is really just saying go away go away go away you know don't be here i don't i can't be present with you yeah. now what could be present with that this is you know brahma vihara isn't it that could be present with it the sense of the deep listening the uh the kindliness the um compassion you know the the patience the 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 non-aversion the non-dismissiveness the um, non-envy or jealousy the uh, non-demand you know this be good or bad or happy or or whatever this is Brahma Vihara it's that it's the the quality of 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 receptivity that acts as the purifier on the emotional level just as we can purify on the physical level through samadhi Brahma Vihara purifies on the emotional level and all this you know this is the divine abiding or sublime abiding or boundless abiding wherever one goes standing, walking, sitting, lying down it's a very full, complete it's not a particular point of sensation it's a complete abiding Mm. it's the whole system and this is say necessary for you know this is a essential foundation of liberation what's called the mundane liberation it doesn't seem mundane in the sense of ordinary but it is it's still you know there is still a further which is when one has established that 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 abiding you know which becomes like a unity it's not a particular event or a circumstance or a sensation or a thought it's a wholeness of being then the, what's called the sunyata vihara which is you know the upper story <laughs> is this experience this quality I let go of that yes. what is it like without this and this this has come around through practices and causes and conditions this has come around through it through application this is conditioned to what's it like without this can there be a re- letting go of this not a dismissal of it but like seeing through it, just as if one has has finally sieved all the bracken and the algae and the slime and the out of water. You know, so now the water is 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 very pure and clear. 
Yeah. And then now I see through that. Now it's clear I can see through that. You don't just look at the surface of the water anymore. Now you've cleared away, you've purified, you see through that. This is emptiness. It's not it's seeing through it's not getting rid of the water of purity, but seeing through it. Mm. And there is no higher freedom or deliverance than that. Although this, of course, you know, is maybe seems slightly mis- mysterious. You know, so really, one can say that it's the the, you know, the the mundane or the primary aspects of liberation, which is the purity of body, purity of mind, purity of emotion, purifying these things that is our main ongoing practice. Because then, when it is pure, then the transcendent or the lokutra is something that becomes more obvious, more apparent. You know, when one begins to see the particular, you've got now a single, a singleness. And then, well, what, what's this about? This, what's the, what, what is one's response to this? And it, oh, just let go of that. See through that. Don't hold that as being anybody. That, that becomes, when the mind becomes agile enough to see that that's, that's the wisdom. So, office for your reflection. Mm-hmm.